Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Tom Hostikundel, the petrol station flowers for Valentine's Day of the podcast, better than nothing, but still the non-football equivalent of Rafinha at wingback. And I'm joined today by the player scoring against his former club of the podcast, Martin Riley. It's a nice gesture, but still hurts like a Cupid shot arrow. And finally, I'm joined today by the newest addition to the AAW family, which I don't know why I've said it like that. But what are you doing on the podcast on Valentine's Day? You're an attractive young man, Will. You're at uni. How are you? What are you doing? Whoa, I, I'm doing good. Um, I've had a good day, despite no dates. Um, I went to athletics. I saw the boys. Got myself a little takeaway for when we talk about food. It's been a good day, yeah. So hang on a minute. So you've just said you do athletics. So for those who don't know, uh, Will is a medium distance runner. So and then you've had a takeaway. So yeah. now that you, so you're are we ruining <laughs> are we ruining you because you had like noodles on toast or something on for the yeah, first for your first and appearance noodles. and and then you've had like pizza today. Are we are we are we ruining you already? No, I had um I had Middle Eastern um half a grilled chicken and chips with salad and it was lovely. Ah, uh, yeah, that, um, sounds, that sounds great. To be fair, sounds like a very good takeaway. Yeah, there's just a little place, like five minute walk away. So I've been there quite a few times this year and will continue to do so. Are you on first name basis? Uh, no, they recognise me, but uh, I don't know their names. Not not as bad as the takeaway that was five minutes around the corner from my house and it'd be four o'clock in the afternoon coming back from uni. I'd be walking past and it'd be shouting, hey, hostie, hey, hostie. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> my, my mate looked at me and just went, that's not good. Um, But what is good is Martin Riley. How are you? Doing fantastic. Uh, I've had a lovely tea tonight. I had some a jacket potato for a change where with some cheese and beans and some spicy chicken to go with it. And it was very good. Lots of cheese because I love cheese. Um, and not just that, two types of cheese. Um, I had both double, double Gloucester cheese and then also a big dollop of um, some garlic and herb. Um, this like soft cheese, which was really good to go on. Boss on. Sort of melted. Boss on the, sort of stuff. Beans. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, that does sound good. I had a, um, I had a Sainsbury's uh spicy chicken and anduja pizza um 
yeah, quick 10 minutes in the oven, as, as I said to you, as I messaged you guys. Uh, before we started recording, that was running a bit late, and so we pushed back recording a little bit for me. So thank you very much for that. And uh, yeah, so that's everything. News will be covered tomorrow in the preview, um, I guess. Yeah, it's easier to talk about the news because the news is basically about Bamford in this game pulling out injured. Um, so I guess you can talk about whether his selection's coming tomorrow or not for the preview of Plymouth. But yeah, we're here today to talk about our 4 0 victory over Swansea City. So I will start with a game summary. So both teams started the game with the same 4 2 3 1 structure. Leeds had the greatest share of possession throughout the first half, with Swansea having some spells of possession. However, Leeds had the greatest share of shots and good chances. Leeds started strong, having a number of early opportunities and scored the first goal in the 8th minute, with Crescentio Somerville firing a deflected effort past Rushworth. This was followed up two minutes later when Joel Perot struck a shot with his right foot and uh, Rushworth parried it into the corner. Leeds continued to apply pressure and had a number of good chances, with the third goal being scored in the 35th minute, with Willy Nyonto firing a well-placed shot into the bottom corner, and the game entered the second half 3-0. The second half continued with much the same as the first. Leeds had a great share of possession and most of the chances, with Swansea not being able to create many good chances with the possession that they did have. The only goal of the second half arrived in the 72nd minute, where Willy Nyonto was scoring again, and bringing the score to 4-0, and making it 7 wins out of 7 for Leeds in 2024. That's obviously in the league. So, with that over and done with, we'll start with the interrogation. And, yeah, I think we were relatively hopeful before the game um, that we were going to win this one. But I don't think any of us really saw that it'd be that convincing. 4-0, obviously. Uh, so, we'll, I'll go to you first. What What do you think the biggest reason was for that scoreline? Um, am I allowed to say a little bit of good fortune? Because I think with both the first goals, um, the first and second, Deflection and then with Piro's, I think the keeper should have done better. Um, between those, to be 2 0 up so early, it just sets the rest of the game up to be nice as long as you're not stupid, which we weren't. So, um, happy days, really. Yeah, I think you're allowed to say that a bit of luck came into it. And Martin, did you, did you see it any differently? I agree with what Will said that there was definitely some good fortune with the first two goals. Um, and but I also just think that there was quite a big differential uh, physically between our players and Swansea players. Um, our players just had the beating of Swansea players in most one-on-one battles. Uh, that was set very, very early with um, Routier just totally turning. I think it was Fulton. I think about 30 seconds in, I believe. Just literally received a ball with his back to Fulton and just spun away from him and was driving with him, leaving him a good fair bit behind in seconds. So yeah, there was a big physical mismatch for me, and another one, but which was present throughout, was on the on the right hand side. And uh, Yonta had the beating of who was there left back again? I forget his name. Timon, Timon. Oh yeah, Timon. Josh Timon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he had the beating of Timon, 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 and time again. <laughs> and, uh, and he also had the beating of um, Wood as well, the uh, left sided centre back. So the, the number of times I just see his movement just. Them totally, but I want to say by surprise, I think they could see it coming, but they couldn't really do much to stop it. They set off, set off like a second later, and what they should have done, Nanto was well past them, and it just made their life very difficult. That there was this big mismatch between us and them physically, and then there's also the issues with I think Swansea's players are not really that familiar with what Luke Williams wants them to do, both in and out of possession, and I think this especially was 
shown in their optimization approach. We won't touch on that too much because the next question is about that entirely. Um, but there was definitely some things which Swansea weren't doing, which I think Williams would have wanted them to do. And so it didn't really bode well for them, I guess, especially against a team like us who are quite well drilled in what we're doing at the moment in great form. So that combination of the physical mismatch and the team early into a process was, was never gonna, only going to end one way, really. Yeah, I think, um, like what Will kind of said, um, for me, early goals made, made a big difference for this. For game six, it meant that Swansea really had to try and get a goal. And we've seen that with the Christmas Eve game against Ipswich, that when teams come at us like that, we we perform really well against them. Um, and yeah, I just felt like that's kind of one of the reasons why yesterday, yesterday was, because they're trying to play a bit more of an expansive game compared to what they had uh, under Duff. And yeah, I think when you're making that transition from those sort, from what they were under Duff to what Luke Williams probably wants them to be mid-season as well, um, I think that's where like we get that advantage over it as well. Like you were saying, Martin, it, they're probably not quite prepped and not quite there into how Williams wants to play. Um, but yeah, as as you mentioned there, Martin, how did they? How did Swansea approaches in out of possession, um, and, and why wasn't it that successful? Well, there was a few things we were trying to do. Um, we were trying to press high in, in moments. It wasn't full-on high press as in committing all of their players for it at the same time. Uh, they were trying to keep bodies in, in our half. But there was some time that I don't think the lines of pressure were, were moving in a concerted way to keep that pressure up. For example, I think around, I want to say about five to ten, I can't remember that time, but between five and ten minutes, there was a moment where we'd push forward and then we sort of recycled the possession back to our back line. And now obviously what should happen in that is the midfield line move up with the forward line. But the forward line moved forward to press our players, but the midfield line didn't compensate for that. So you had a situation where I saw a groove, just look behind his shoulder, see not a single person there. He was like just ahead of the our the circle above our box. And it was like a good 15 yards with no one in it at all. And it's just, you can't have that big gaps between your first and second line. It just, <laughs> especially not with players like Groove who can pick a long pass out. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, he said he turned around, drove into the space, and hit a really lovely diagonal ball down to, I think, Nonto. And so, yeah, that part, part of it was not working well. And I don't know if that is players not knowing what to do, but to me, that seemed quite an elementary thing to do and I don't think it would be something which Williams would be wanting them to do to leave that such big of a gap between the first and second line so for me whatever they were trying to do wasn't being enacted very well in my opinion yeah Will do you have anything you'd like to add on that um yeah sort of on to what Martin said about being a little bit disjointed is at Notts County um Williams at times County would be vulnerable to someone springing the offside trap or a third man run um, in behind the high line. So playing the high line that they sort of were trying to do, but then not putting pressure on midfielders that are as competent as Gruev. Um, yeah, you're asking for trouble. And that's what we saw, basically. So yeah, and with the way that Swansea did set up, we created two chances per XG that were that you class as big chances. So that's over 0.3 XG. And another four chances, which weren't technically big chances, but we'd probably say they were still good chances. Um, and so how how were we able to create so many good chances, Will? Um, through transition, 
were quite a few of them, especially early on, even not the big chances with Nanto's one at two nil, um, came on the counter. So did Piro's that he scored. Um, yeah, transitioning. And I thought just in general, our right hand side was really good yesterday. Um, Gray and Nanto, as they've played together more, I think increasingly is a really good partnership that the movement they have, like for, um, Nanto's goal that he did eventually score the first one with winning the ball back and then Gray with the lovely ball over the top. It's just nice to see. Yeah, Martin, do you, do you see any other reasons why we managed to create so many good chances? I think we'll hit a lot of them there. Um, there was just so much space for us to attack, especially in transition. Um, it just really did make our lives that so much more easier. Combined with not just the space behind their line, like I've already mentioned, the space in between their lines. Uh, they've just making our life so so easy, and to a team like us who's already good in transition, to leave that much space open, it, it's just asking for trouble, and it just made it pretty pretty easy game. Like even without the good fortune for the first two goals, I don't think it would have taken as long to craft a goal which wasn't down to good fortune because of how open the game was, and that was a way an easy way for us to get the win, which. I was kind of a bit disappointed. I was hoping for a closer game, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe I'm a bit of a sicko in that way. But yeah, it's it's a shame. But hopefully Williams can, can get them playing better than that because I think even despite the disadvantage they've got in player quality, I do still think that he should be able to get do better than what he did in this game. Yeah, I think um, from by a close game, I think what, you know what I mean is that you kind of expected maybe to see a bit more from Swansea or you were hoping to see a bit more from Swansea given uh, Williams's reputation that he brought from Notts County. But as we've said, um, more of a tactical battle of what I guess is what more you're trying to get at there. Um, but speaking of what Swansea did do quite well, um, there were some people griping about the ability that Swansea had to play through our press. Uh, do you think this was down to Swansea's on the ball um, tactics? An ability, or do you think that our press was not really stopping that? And do you think if that if it is that, does that concern you, Martin? Well, I think I saw some people who were, who were complaining about Swansea playing through our press, but for me, that is just something that will happen. Especially a guy like we're good at coaching teams to be able to play through a press. It's one thing which he was very good at at Knotts, and it's no surprise that he's been able to do it at Swansea because Swansea have been for a long time known as a team who do like to possess the ball. So they are going to have a good standard of players for the on-the-ball football. And they do. In their back line, they've got a few capable ball players. And they, that's why they were able to play through our press. But why it didn't concern me was they weren't able to create any chances. Uh, they just they were able to get to the final third. But then our, our box defending was superior to what theirs was. And there were at times where we were leaving a fair bit of space for them to attack. They did catch us in transition a few times. But even without that, even, they just didn't manage to get the right pass at the right moment. The players weren't able to execute the right pass, or it just was the wrong pass which they picked in in that moment. So I think it, the pressing side, I think it was a little bit down to to us not maybe pressing as intensely as what we wouldn't do normally, and that is something that we, which we have done away from home in a few games, especially since we've had a pretty hectic schedule recently with a game at the weekend and a hundred and twenty minute game last week. So. We weren't able, going to be able to do a full press for the full 90 minutes. And on top of that, one of our best pressing players was 
caught out in the warm-up and pulled out of the game. So that also will have impacted it. But to me, I don't think we will have been intending to press full-on in this game. I think we will have been able to identify the big weakness in this was catching them in transition because of how easily it's been done in a few games before this uh, by both Leicester and, and Southampton. They quite constantly caught them out a lot in transition, which... That was how the game was won, really, for my opinion, in my opinion, not merely f- through our concerted prep possession ourselves, although we did have some good attacks through that. But the main big chances of the game fell in the transitional moments, and Swansea weren't able to do the same thing to us. Yeah, Will, do you have anything to add regarding Swansea's ability to get through our press? Uh, not massively. Williams, as was said, one of his sort of characteristics is the good build up. Um, and yeah, I wasn't too bothered because. They were quite toothless. There was, I forget what minute, early in the, well, in the first half, there was their player running sort of down the right and Furpo stuck a foot out in the box. And so there was sort of a half appeal for a penalty. That was the only sort of moment where I thought we could be in trouble here. Besides that, even when they did get at us, it was not massively panic stations in my opinion. So wasn't that bothered about us not pressing and they can play a few passes, but what came of it, not much. Yeah, and this isn't a Luke Williams pod, but um, all stats aren't we are quite big fans of Luke Williams and what he did at Notts County. Um, we appreciate some of the football that we've watched him play while following Notts County last season for reasons. Um, and yeah, has, has this fixture changed your feelings towards Williams or on Williams, Martin? Uh, not just yet. I, I, if I was... Swansea's fans, I wouldn't be worrying too much about it. I think this season is a bit of a write-off for them anyway. Um, they can't really get playoffs now because there's so many teams who are in the hunt for it in better form than they are. And they're also too, probably too far away from the relegation spots to be a threat from relegation. So I think this season is probably a bit of a throwaway because a manager like Williams does need a full pre-season to get his, the team playing the way that he wants them to play. And Probably also to bring in a few different profiles of players, which is maybe missing from this side. Uh, I think there is some definitely some good ball players in, in the side, but I do think that the big area where the lack is in defenders and actually defending the box, because quite a lot of times we were able to do it so easily, it seems. Uh, I realise that we do have much higher player quality than they do, both physically and technically, but there was still not really much for a fight put up in certain moments of this game, and I don't put that entirely down to Williams. He, he took the team in a pretty bad time because he's played in his time so far, Leicester, Southampton, and us. <laughs> and he's only been in the job about less than a month. So that's a pretty hard run of games. And he won at the weekend against a, a good whole side, as we said, and they've had a very strong January window. So if I was Swansea's fans, I don't think there'll be many Swansea fans listening to this podcast, but I wouldn't write him off just yet. I still think he's got a good chance to pull things around probably next season now, though. Yeah, Will, you're a you're a Nottingham native as as we know, so you, you've probably got a bit more ties with Notts County opinions and stuff. So anything from you? Not massively. Um, I think the bits that they looked good at building up, we knew he was good at that. The bits where they looked vulnerable, Notts County did with the jumping the high line occasionally. Um, I listened to the Jackcast the other day, which is a Swansea podcast, and they were saying even with you know, the Southampton result, they're not that bothered because they have improved. Um, and as was rightly said earlier, I think this season they're not in danger of going up or down. So give it another six months and 
if there's still problems, then get worried. But for now, it's not an issue. Um, and the other thing I was going to note was when he was at Knotts, as much as the football was good, it's hard to look past that their attack for National League was ridiculously good. So, you know, he's lost that advantage in the championship. So it might take a bit of time to rework and find a way around not having Langstaff, who's a League One striker in the fifth division, basically. Yeah, or, or Ru- Ruben Rodriguez, who moved to Oxford after into League One after that season. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah think exactly. That, I think we've all kind of had a, kept our eye on Luke Williams as someone who we'd potentially like at Leeds, um, depending on how well he does progress through the levels. And yeah, I, I just think that the reason why his team managed to kind of play through is a little um, will be down to his coaching, as as we've said. Um, and I think that that's kind of probably what he's been focusing on, making sure that they're trying to play the right way in possession, especially if he doesn't have the defenders to do exactly what he wants to do out of possession with the high line. So it's probably best for, he's probably thought it's best for his side to uh, retain possession and build up and try and have the advantage that way. And yeah, I think judge him maybe December time next season and see where he's at. Uh, and hopefully for Swansea and hopefully for us, we're not in the division and we can kind of just follow Swansea with a good eye and hopefully for Swansea, they'll be up and around top half pushing playoffs next season. Um, but that, that's us, that, that's enough of us talking about Swansea and Luke Williams. And before we move on to the second half of our analysis, it is time for an ad break. But before that happens, I have to plug the Patreon. Otherwise, Tom Alderson won't let me go to Stockport County and won't be able to poison me with a pie. Um, but don't worry, patrons, you don't have to listen to this part. Uh, our patrons get access for as little as one ninety nine per month, which gives you an ad-free podcast. And if you want to pay a little bit more, you get other benefits, including early access to our preview pods, analysis articles, videos, and bonus podcasts. And that is three different tiers, which those tiers are what, Martin? One ninety nine for the base tier, which is the brighter tier. Three ninety nine for the middle tier, which is the click tier, and for the next tier is the Pavlo tier, obviously at four ninety nine. And if you want to find out more about our Patreon, then please visit Will Patreon dot com forward slash ASAW Patreon. Ah, he's got it in one first time. Anyway. Yes. Now let's go back to the analysis and let's talk a bit more about players rather than tactics. We had a question from Josie on Twitter and Richard Lang did also ask this in the Discord. Don't worry, Richard, I won't forget you. Uh, Perot seemed to play in a more advanced position last night. Do you think this is how he's been developed by the club or more a function of how Swansea were playing or was it just because um, Bamford came out and it was just a straight swap? What what do you reckon for that one, Martin? So yeah, it's an interesting one is this, uh, especially what Jordan mentions about the way that he was playing at Swansea, which obviously a lot of league fans have assumed that he was playing in typical number nine way because of the amount of goals that he scored for Swansea. And that is quite natural. But if you ever, ever watch Swansea play, he wasn't playing as a advanced number nine in the similar way to what Bamford would play. He played a lot behind the striker. I feel like I've gone for over this so many times and I'm getting deja vu massively here. But yeah, so that was the way he played at Swansea. I won't go into too much more detail about that. And I would like to see that he is being developed into being more of a classic centre-forward 
who would look to lead a line and make runs beyond the centre-backs, not dropping deep as often as what he does to help progress play. And I think last night's game was probably the best example of that that we've seen from Perot so far. He hasn't played often as a number nine. Uh, I think he maybe had three games where he's been playing as an out-and-out nine, possibly. Two in the cup and one this one in the league. And most of the other times when he's been playing, it's been with Ruter as the nine or Bamford as a nine and even once as Joseph as a nine ahead of him. So there's been a lot of different players who have played the nine. And But I think this was, like I said, the best example of what Pro can do as playing nine. He was making a lot of good intelligent runs beyond. He was still dropping deeper than what Bamford would do normally. But that was less often than what he normally is. And... Just finally, his out-of-possession work was probably the best I've seen from him. Um, I do think that Swan- Swansea's back line and midfield aren't the most mobile, which probably did help his life in this out-of-possession because he's not also not, not the most mobile of strikers. So that would have made his life a little bit easier and probably why he did look a little bit better than normal. There's just a few times, especially in the second half, where I'm sorry, I'm like quite battling with um, some of Swansea's players to get possession of them, which I thought was a good sign not just from the um, side of the, the pace of it, but also the aggressiveness that he was using in the pressing moments. So, yeah, I was I was quite pleased with the way Perot played this role. But regards to the why he was playing in a more advanced position, I think it's only down to Bamford pulling out late because we will have had a plan in place. We'd, and you don't just quickly change the whole plan for the game based on the player being out. You have to have that player play the way that the other player was going to play so, so Perot had to try to play this game as much like Bamford as he, he was able to. Obviously, his own natural tendencies did come into play, and that's why he did drop quite deep at times, um, deeper than the halfway line a few times I spotted him, which is somewhere that Bamford would never come. He'd come a little bit deep, just drop it a little bit down to receive a ball, but he would never drop into the hour, hour half. But yeah, that's how I saw it anyway. I'm not sure if Will saw anything different. Uh, not really. Um, I was... I'd agree that I think he played as the nine just to minimise disruption um, so close to kick-off. And then, yeah, I, I don't think he'll ever be able to press in the same way that we've seen Bamford do for years, but there's no reason to think he couldn't improve from where he was at when he first joined us, and I think he has improved since then. Um, and with hold-up play, it, it, yeah, teach him the behaviours and I think he'd be fine because like, he's not the quickest, but... His frame is solid enough that he should be able to hold the ball up. Um, there was one midway through the second half on out on the right wing, about the halfway line. He did particularly well to battle one of their players and eventually win the ball and lay it off to Ruta. And you think, you know, that's a, a nice sign that maybe um, on the training ground they are saying, you know, we want to see this from you and maybe model off Bamford. So I think yesterday was a, a nice stepping stone, hopefully, of it's an improvement, but... Let's keep improving, keep improving the hold-up play. Don't drop as deep as much as he'd like to. And then, yeah, if the worst comes to the worst and Bamford is out for a few games at any point, um, hopefully we wouldn't wouldn't miss him as much as we might do now. Yeah, I think for me, um, I see him playing nine a little bit different. Partly, yes, because obviously it was a last-minute change, but I feel like he may have just played nine... Anyway, even if it wasn't a last-minute change, because I think Rute is just doing so well at ten. I think it's that you don't take you right now. We can't really take Rute out of ten with all the work that he's doing. Like his his off the ball works really good. We've seen that in the numbers of jewels he's winning and, and stuff like that. When we did that deep dive the other week, Martin, um, 
And yeah, there, there was definitely times in the second half, I remember, um, on the right wing near the halfway again, but it must have been probably a different moment. Um, and I just saw him kind of like pressing to cut out passing lanes uh, for the options of uh, Timon. And yeah, that was something which I've not really seen from him much as well. Uh, so I thought that he did, he played it well, but I also think that like the fact we were playing a team that left so much space for him helped as well with that. Um, he had a bit more time to hold up the ball and, and stuff. They weren't as aggressive on the back line with, with the amount of space that they did leave in the end. Um, and yeah, so that, that's how I, that's how I personally felt with it. And he obviously took his finish really well on his weak foot as well. Um, which, you know, I think we've always said Pirro can go missing in games, but get a goal. I think um, I heard somewhere that that's exactly what the uh, Swansea commentators on Swansea's TV said. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's just his, uh, just the sort of player that he is, really. Um, but players who are a bit more involved and have more moments that we see are our midfielders, who over the in 2024 have completed a ridiculous amount of passes and ridiculous completion percentage both are averaging over 90 percent um and they're both playing quite progressively within that and so martin do you put this down to the current midfield pairing working so kamara and grief or do you think that it's more of a strength or lack of strength of the recent opposition and not putting them under enough pressure yeah it's a good question is this um i think it's probably a combination of the two but i'd maybe lean more towards the opposition strength because it has been quite weak. I mean, the best sides who we've faced in this run have been Norwich away, I'd say, and then this game against Swansea was another one which was kind of get me a little bit antsy about before. But then when I watched Swansea, I could see ways which we could hurt them, so I wasn't as worried. I still didn't think it was going to be this much of a dominance, to be honest. But yeah, on the question, the mid- midfield pair of, of Groove and Camera are working extre- exceedingly well together at the moment um, with group being the one who's dropping deep and just playing passes about everywhere uh, he's, he's doing whatever you'd want from a midfield pivot player he's hitting the long diagonal balls very very well and and good pace on them and good accuracy he's doing the little incisive small passes well he's whatever pressure comes his way he generally does deal with it and out of out of possession as well he's performing very well stopping a number of key challenges sometimes ones which I wouldn't have expected him to get to but he just he somehow he was able to and then onto camera as well he's also been doing very well but I think he's sort of been left under the radar a bit and we have spoke about this before and I do think that he's performing equally as well but he's playing a little bit further up the pitch so he's seen a bit less of what the of the ball so he's not getting the big amount of numbers which Groove did which was the last one, I think it was in the 90s. Uh, 90, 92 attempted and 89 successful. That's, that's lovely numbers. Um, yeah, so he's doing extremely, extremely well with, with that, but Murray is also doing extremely well. Like Against Rotherham, he completed 100% of his passes. I mean, that's just an insane number for any midfielder to make, even if a number of them may have been backwards. And even if even 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 if one of them was nearly an own goal as well, yeah, yeah, we've, we talked about that one. That was not the best of the completed. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm I'm just very happy with the way the midfielders are working, but with the recent opposition strength, there just needs to be a little bit of a caveat on there. I think that when we do play against some better better midfields, ones who are equal to us physically, then it may be put under a bit more of a challenge, and then we'll maybe see a true truer reflection of 
how good the midfield pair is. And Will, I'm I'm going to throw a slight curveball at you with this one. Um, obviously, we've just discussed the strength of those players, but can you tell me about uh, Groif's right foot? Um, yeah, I could do it in about four words because it doesn't exist. Um, yeah, it's fine for now, I think, that he is so left foot dominant because he does very well at um, orientating his body to still shield a player or to change the angle he's passing at to get the pass off with his left foot. But I do just wonder against a better team who are going to press more, like, you know, Leicester game isn't too far away against someone where the opposition are of a higher level. Um, And then hopefully next season in the Premier League, um, it'll be interesting to see if that's something teams would look to exploit because, yeah, it's fine. He's clearly a very good player. You don't come from the Bundesliga to the Championship and not show that you've got quality. But just thinking ahead to scaling up next year, hopefully, um, it was just something I noticed the other day that he is so one-footed, um, almost impressively so. Yeah, I, I reckon it's impressively. So like like said, whenever he, whenever there's that hesitation or that pressure where they force him to maybe where you think that a pass on the right foot is the player to make, he moves his body around, evades that pressure and gets the pass away with his left foot anyway. Um, so I won't throw you on a curveball this time. Who else do you think stood out last night, Will? Between, well, yeah, the two midfielders and then the attackers, but I feel like I could say that after every game. Um, I thought Gray was really nice. There was a few moments um, where he came inside and was combining on little runs, which was making me think about, oh, well, when Roberts is up to speed, I, as much as you know, we've just given Gruev and Kamara huge amounts of praise, at some point I'd quite like to see Gray be given more than five or ten minutes as a centimetre, just to see, you know, that was his position in the youth, so... Clearly, he knows how to do it. Um, and then perhaps you'd see his game be a bit more expansive than the role he's doing at the moment. Yeah, and Martin, anyone else at Will didn't mention that stood out for you? Or do you want to talk about your forwards? Um, I think the forwards have had enough praise recently. We all know how good they are. And as you all know, I could talk about Routard for a long time. But I want to give praise to both of the centre-backs in this game. And they was both very good in what, everything that they needed to do both in and out of possession, um, especially the few moments out of possession, one particular moment where we were caught a bit in transition and Ampadu just put in a really lovely challenge just to put the ball out for a, a throw-in. And yeah, just everything that those two do at the moment seems to be working very well. I will say they didn't have a whole lot to deal with because most of the attacks were generally dealt with before it got to the box area. But then in, in possession, they were doing everything that you'd want them to do. They were playing some good balls through forward. Roden was making some nice ball carries into the central space and then combining well with all the players on his side of the pitch. So, yeah, just up those are the two who I'd want to give some special praise for. Yeah, I think we've basically praised the whole team there. Um, now, and, and we obviously <laughs> discussed Perot, um And, yeah, there was some slight gripes as well. I guess if we were to discuss, we might as well discuss the 11th player that we've not discussed yet or touched on because we're not touching on the forwards. Um, there was, again, some more slight gripes regarding Melier and uh, his, his not distributing when he's collected it on to call for a quick transition, um, which it was a discussion in the Discord. And, yeah, I know it's not on here. It's just one which has come to me now. Um, I think I mentioned that I think it's more down to whatever game state we're in. I think we see it probably more often at nil-nil later on. 
Uh, but as soon as we've taken the lead, it's about controlling possession and slowing it down from Melier when he when he's got the ball um, to avoid losing it and then us being transitioned. I don't know if you two think any different. Yeah, I, I can say something about that. Um, so yeah, I think the the full gripe was that he wasn't releasing the ball quick enough in transition, wasn't it? That was yeah. When gripe, when when he's which... caught it, so we'd obviously, we've obviously had a discussion uh, last week. Was it after the Rotherham game or before the Rotherham game? Um, I believe so. Where we discussed him punching and him in possession with baiting the press and using his feet. We didn't actually discuss when he does actually catch it, what he does with the ball there. So this is the last bit to cover, yeah, I so... guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was paying attention for this in, in particular after that little discussion. And actually the, for the the corner which eventually led to our first goal came from Melier re- releasing the ball quickly, <laughs> which is quite, quite amusing me. So we know that it is something which we do do. And he he just did a nice like underarm throw. I'm, I'm doing that action with my arms at the moment, like everyone can see me. Uh, he just did a nice little underarm throw, and then the ball was played further forward from there, and we got a corner from the action. So in a roundabout way, he was one of the reasons why we got there because it was a good underarm throw, like caught sort of in between some of his players. It was nice. Um, but then yeah, there were other moments later in the game where he wasn't releasing the balls quickly, and he was just sort of holding it, and just uh, that's definitely game state reasons, like. When we're three goals to the good, we don't need to risk sending the ball forward straight away and then getting caught in transition the other way. It doesn't make sense. It makes more sense to just kill a little bit of time. It's not very much time, but if it happens a few times, it adds up. So yeah, it's just one of those things, game state related, which will happen. And then where it is, sometimes he will release it quickly. Sometimes he'll hold on to it for that little bit more. So yeah, it's not nothing which concerns me at all. It just seems pretty usual for a goalkeeper to do and then what the game says. Yeah, Will, and anything to add? Or? Um, I think it's an instruction from the coaching not to throw the ball immediately because, you know, Melier played, what, the second half of the promotion season and then the first season and a bit under Bielsa in the Premier League um, and was throwing the ball out quickly because there was a number of times that was a Bielsa. As good as we were in posi- possession, the amount of times we'd catch someone from their corners um, and score, that was something Bielsa wanted to do. Whereas I think... In general, Farker um, has said to him, you know, as Martin said, let's just control the ball. Let's be a bit more measured with it, which um, as much as sometimes you're watching and you think, come on, there's a, you know, Furpo's away down the left, just play the ball. Um, It's hard to get too annoyed because if that is an instruction to hold on to it, we can hardly complain at the results because it's what, seven wins in a row and one goal conceded, was it? Yeah, Um, so... On, know, on the, the seven, there. yeah, on we're unbeaten in twenty twenty four. Seven league games, seven wins, seventeen goals, one goal conceded. We're in very, very good form at the moment. Will is it time to get excited about automatic promotion? Especially considering what we've seen from Southampton over the past two games. Where yeah, okay, they they won five three against Huddersfield, was it? Um, but you know, you conceded three goals to Huddersfield. And then you've conceded three goals to Bristol last night. They've conceded six goals to Huddersfield and Bristol City. Um, is it time to get excited? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, I don't know. I think football in general, um, the best bits of it is the joy. It's the excitement of what could happen. So it'd be miserable to spend all the time thinking, oh, well, they're good. So are we. Um, yeah, with their last two games. Um, I, I saw the second half of the Bristol game yesterday and like Southampton weren't particularly impressive um not to say that they aren't good because you don't go on a 20 odd game unbeaten run if you are but you know we're good as well 
Um, and I think we had such a bad start to the season that if that had been even average, you know, we'd have another few points. So yeah, I think we should be excited and it, it could, there's a horrible scenario where we continue to be good. Southampton continue to be good and we essentially have a playoff final on the final day at Elland Road, which I don't think I could bear. I, I'd put my money on if that happens, that the loser of that game loses the playoffs as well. Yeah, I could see that quite. And Ipswich go up or something like that. Martin, are you excited? Yeah, I am. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't discourage anyone from being excited at the moment because we're in such an incredible form. And I don't want to put anyone down at all because why should why should we? But that is something that we have done historically on this podcast. So it's maybe our job to maybe level expectations out little bit just to be the downers that we historically are um there is definitely a good reason to think why we have a very good chance of being promoted but equally it could just be that a little wobble by southampton and then they go they continue on with their very good form but football is a thing which can change so quickly on the dime that one bad result can lead to a series of bad results and it, i feel that if it does happen to us something similar could happen we've got a pretty tough game coming against leicester if that ended up being a very bad game where we lost and that one's at home as well. So if we was to lose that one at home, lose our unbeaten run at Elland Road, as well as our 2024 unbeaten run, that would be a pretty bad hit for morale. Um, so there is always a chance for any team to suddenly take a hit to the morale and to take a bit of a battering for a few games. So while I don't want to not like to discourage excitement, do it by being disciplined as our great manager. <laughs> Neil Warner could say. As uh, the current Aberdeen manager would say, yeah. Um, yes. I, I just think one of the one of the things to consider regarding Southampton's big run, which I decided to have a look through um, who, who they played within that run. So that started when they beat us 3-1, did that run? Um, and in that time, the only top six team that they've played is West Brom, um, So and who they beat 1-0. And the rest have more or less been bottom half teams that have been played in, and they've played like a couple twice and got got through that. And then, yeah, the next two games for Southampton are West Brom and Hull. Hull's their game in hand, um, so it's, they're, they're not easy fixtures. I know that we've got Hull. I think we've got Hull at home, though. I think they've got Hull away. Um, so I know that we do Hull at home is probably one of our more difficult games of what's remaining, barring Southampton and Liverpool, and Liverpool Leicester. Um, <laughs> wrong team at top of the wrong table um so yeah i I think sort of like we might see southampton actually drop more points in this second half of the season um just because they're playing more top half teams so i don't think we'll see them we might see that level out again um and it's worth noting that i've got a southampton fan friend and he's kind of like to go 22 games unbeaten and still be absolutely nowhere near the top of the table really points wise is ridiculous with regards to Leicester. Um, but he also has to remember that Leicester and Ipswich both started off ridiculously well. And when Southampton beat us 3-1, they were 15th because they'd had a bad start as well. Um, so it's just one of those for us in Southampton that we've, you know, we've, we've started slow and we're playing catch-up. Um, but yeah, like you said, it is building to that last game of the season at Ellen Road, isn't it? Is there anything else that we've missed or that anyone wanted to discuss or bring up throw me a curveball or anything like that yeah I, I, it's a small comment um, there's been a few things saying is this football better than Bielsa's no it isn't 
that's all I'll say. Martin? I'm not even going to dignify that question with a response, to be honest. Yeah, I think... um, I don't think it's as enjoyable, but that could also potentially be if I was to try and just kind of, like, argue for Farker. Um, We have probably better players than we had when we had Bielsa in the championship, and some teams obviously are setting up more well no more teams are setting up in a way to stop us than what set up against us in that way again for Bielsa so it was much more fun and much easier for us to enjoy um Bielsa's football I reckon um Um, uh, maybe the first season I'll agree with that but in the second season that definitely wasn't the case loads of teams set up incredibly deep and look at especially the was it against Wigan was it yeah that game Oh god, that that wasn't a fun Bielsa but game. Even even the start of the the second season with was it Swansea and Derby back to back home games, and they just sat on their own six yard box. And Steve Cooper claimed it was a tactical masterclass from him. And the Derby, Don't, you'll get came Martin, out. you'll get Martin started. You'll get no, Martin no, started. No, I'm I'm winding myself up as I say it, so I'll just <laughs> stop. But Bielsa, I think you give him the players we've got now, we'd be there with Leicester. Is my take i love bielsa more than anything so i trust him to be as good as lesser have been yeah i think it's two different conversations as to whether the football is better or whether this team is better um mm. i got asked the question actually at the weekend and it's one which i think we've answered on the pod before again but it was a while ago which was is the squad that we've got now better than the squad we had in the premier league when we came down and i reiterated the fact that i think individual talent wise we're probably a little bit lower than we were in the Prem, but right now we've got more balance and better balance within the squad. Um, yeah, anything to add on that comment? I mean, pretty much. I think that's exactly what we said, Martin, about three, four months ago. Yeah, pretty much the same there. The squad which we came down with did have better, say, in certain areas, individual quality, but definitely the whole balance of the squad, the depth is better than where it was. With exception to the left back area, but left back was a problem in the squad which came down as well, really. <laughs> so it's not not really changed having the left back situation. But the rest of the squad, the makeup of it is much much better, especially in midfield, which has been a problem for us for a number of years. And for that to finally be rectified uh, feels quite good. But yeah, what I'd say I say this squad will have a good test if we do go up and see how many of these players are able to cut it in the Premier League. I do have faith in a number of them. But there is still obviously a question mark over some as well. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully we get to see that tested out. But hopefully the test proves positive for us if we go up. Um, but that's everything for today. I'll give you just a quick reminder to sign up to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon. And yeah, as I said, that's everything for tonight. We'll be back very, very soon for a preview of the weekend's game against Plymouth, which is a 12.30 kickoff on Saturday, before anyone forgets, or a 12 o'clock kickoff, one of the two. Um, it's lunchtime Saturday. Uh, but now all I have left to say is thank you, Martin. Thank you as well, Tom. Uh, thank you, Will. Yeah, thank you, mate. And thank you to our dear listeners. Have a great end of the week, Thursday, Friday, and a good weekend. And enjoy the Plymouth game. Sayonara.